Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com <laughs> Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. All right, so as we get into today's episode, it's going to be slightly different. Um, Today is my birth story, so if you don't know me, I am Jordan and I'm the host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I will do my best to keep to the script and not let this recording drag out for five hours because I feel like I could honestly talk and talk and talk about my pregnancy and my birth and my experience with a newborn. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I will try to keep it to the uh, normal questions that I ask. And although there won't be an interview, I'll sort of just run through like, um, like a normal story. So hopefully it all flows and I hope you enjoy the episode. I will do my best to go into detail where I would have liked it um, or what I get out of the podcast normally. So yeah, hope you enjoy. Awesome. So like I said, I'm Jordan and in my family is my partner Joseph and our very new baby Jai. So Jai is seven weeks old now and he is just the most awesome thing that's ever happened to us in our whole lives. So I'm not sure if you can hear me smiling, but we, yeah, we're obsessed with him. And if you follow me on the Kiwi Birth Tales Instagram, then you will probably know uh, my level of obsession. Um, Yeah, so we live in Tauranga um, and Italy and Sydney. So all three places at once, really. So we moved from Sydney to Italy where Joe plays water polo. And then I came back to Tauranga to give birth. So We're sort of all over the place. Uh, We do a lot of traveling and Jai will be doing that with us too, but that's what Joe does for work. And at the moment, I am a full-time mum. Yeah, so our journey to pregnancy was a fairly basic one. I wasn't on the pill for over three years, which included the time that Joe and I have been together. Um, And I was just tracking my cycles on an app called Cycles um, and watching the period of sort of ovulation or the fertility window and trying to make sure that we were making a conscious effort not to have too much unprotected sex during that time. Um, When we decided that we thought it might be a good time to, you know, um, just sort of let what will be be, um, we fell pregnant really quickly. So I was back in Tauranga and Joe was actually in Perth, so I didn't get the chance to tell him in person, but... I sent him a picture of my pregnancy test when it was positive and yeah, we were both really excited. I was actually really shocked. I know like you know that you can be pregnant because obviously we weren't doing anything to try and prevent it. But I think it's just one of those things like when you see the positive line come up on your pregnancy test, you're a bit like, holy shit, I can't believe, (laughs) I can't believe it. So yeah, really happy. Um, but of course, yeah, a little bit shocked as well. Um, Especially also because I should mention, I took three tests before this positive one and they were all negative. So I was getting close to my period, then I was due for my period, and then it was like a day after or whatever, and they were all negative. 
it wasn't until about three or four days when my period was late and I had already thought, okay, well, we're definitely not pregnant, that I did the test again just to check and that one was positive. So, yeah, that was a bit of, I guess, another reason why I found it such a shock. Throughout that time, I sort of had this weird feeling in the bottom of my tummy. Um, I could almost pinpoint exactly where it was, and I would say that perhaps that was implantation pain. I'm not sure if it was all in my head or if it was actually real, but definitely wasn't a feeling that I usually get when I'm getting my period, and I hadn't felt that before, so I'm going to say maybe that's what that was. I didn't have too many other early symptoms, so my boobs weren't really sore or anything like that until about seven weeks, I think. So I'd been to the GP, confirmed my pregnancy, everything was all good, and we were heading back to Italy really soon after that. So I did an early dating scan where they could basically see nothing. They could um, just see like a round spot, basically, but there was no sign of like a heartbeat or anything like that. But they told me to expect that because it was so early on. I think it would have only been about five weeks, maybe only just. So yeah, they couldn't see anything, but at least I'd been and knew that it wasn't like an eptopic pregnancy or anything like that, which my doctor just wanted to rule out before I did that long haul travel. So from there, I worked with midwife in Papamoa. Um, I found her through a recommendation of a friend and yeah, she was awesome. So she was happy to take me on while I was living overseas and then I headed back to Italy. So in Italy, we worked with a private obstetrician there. There's only one in our little town and she's lovely. Um, doesn't speak a whole heap of English. So that was a bit of a barrier, but we, yeah, we sort of made it work in those early stages. And then I actually headed back to Sydney for work. So in May, um, I was about 20-ish weeks, or actually I was 12 weeks when I went back to Australia. So I had my 12-week and 20-week scans in Sydney. Uh, we confirmed the gender and did all the sort of standard testing through the non-invasive pregnancy testing as well as the 12-week test. So we actually found out our gender really early and um, I don't think I could have waited a day longer. We were both so desperate to know if it was a boy or a girl. And I actually think that was a period of sort of bonding for me in those really early stages with um, my baby, I guess, because I felt like I was connected to him in a different way. I could call him him rather than it or the baby. And yeah, I just, I really enjoyed knowing the gender and so did Joe. So yeah, that was an awesome part. We did all the other standard testing and that was all normal. Um, then the 20 week scan, we did that in Sydney as well. And they told me he was in the 95th percentile, um, basically based on all those sort of scans. And that would be really normal because Joe's a really tall, big guy. So I wasn't surprised by that, but they just sort of said, you know, let your midwife know and, and continue to check on that throughout the rest of the pregnancy. And that was all fine. The only other weird thing that I sort of experienced, um, was my blood type. So I don't know why, but when I first did my blood test with my normal GP in New Zealand, my blood type was a negative. Um, and then I had an A positive a positive, A negative. I had some really weird readings. So they had to send that to some special lab to get checked what my actual blood type was, because it does make a difference. If you're an A negative blood type, then you have to get a injection, I believe, or maybe a series of injections throughout your pregnancy um, to make sure that if your baby's blood type is not negative, then your pregnancy and your body sort of don't disagree. So I know that I've explained that in a really non-scientific way, but if you have a negative blood type and you've been pregnant, then you'll probably know what I'm talking about. 
Um, so once that was all sorted, yeah, I just had relatively normal pregnancy symptoms, I guess. In the first 12 weeks, I felt violently hungover pretty much every day from maybe uh, seven or eight weeks all the way through to 12 weeks. Funnily enough, I flew back to Sydney from Italy at 12 weeks and got on the plane. I had that violently hungover feeling, felt sick the whole way. It was the most horrific flight, even worse than the one I did at 34 weeks. Um, And then when I got home, I didn't have any morning sickness after that. So it was like a flick to switch and that was done. So that was nice. Um, Apart from that, I mean, I obviously started to get a bump. Um, I noticed some round ligament pain probably around week 14. Um, It was really painful if I moved my legs too fast getting out of bed or different things like that. So I was definitely more conscious of that around that time. And yeah, I didn't have too many sort of other pregnancy symptoms or anything sort of go too wrong. Um, I felt a lot of pain when I got really big. So probably any time from 30 weeks, I was pretty massive. I knew I was carrying a big baby and I hadn't been as active as I would have loved to have been, but I just had this horrible pain in my hips, my back, and he was really heavy in my pelvis. So yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy those later stages of pregnancy. And I know that um, that's something we've talked about on this podcast before is not everybody loves being pregnant. And I would have loved to have been one of those women who said, you know, I feel amazing and I'm glowing. And yeah, I just, I really didn't feel that. Um, I don't feel like I am looking forward to being pregnant again. Um, but we do want more kids. So I guess that's the only way to get them. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think I would have loved to have been more active and next time, hopefully I'll find a better way to manage that pain. I was trying lots of different things, yoga and stretching and rebozo and sort of everything I could find online. But yeah, nothing really worked for me, sort of similar to the hungover feeling I had in the early stages of pregnancy. Nothing really worked for me there either. Um, I was just eating dry crackers in the morning before I got out of bed, which seemed to help me to not be actually physically sick. So yeah, I think those were probably my my things that I didn't enjoy about pregnancy, along with the um, stretch marks. So I know that Yeah, those are sort of something that just happens with pregnancy for a lot of women and some people are really lucky not to get them and I'm trying to love mine even now post-pregnancy. But yeah, definitely something that I struggled with. I think for me, I've sort of gone my whole life and I've been conscious about my weight, which yeah, I guess is is fairly normal. Um, I've just wanted to be fit and healthy and active and um, yeah, I've always been really conscious of that. So getting pregnant and getting this massive bump and then getting stretched really bad stretch marks. I'm talking like all over my tummy and hips and lower back and, um, inner thighs. I just sort of, yeah, I'm struggling to love those even now. I know I'm really grateful to my body for giving me my amazing, healthy little baby boy, but definitely still working on the, um, loving your post-pregnancy or during pregnancy body. Um, and that's okay. I think it's normal, um, to feel that way. And I think that we should normalize that rather than just saying, you know, I love my stretch marks because they gave me my baby. Actually, I love my body for giving me my baby, but I don't love that I have to have the stretch marks that come along with it. Um, yeah. So just putting that one out there. So when I was back in Italy, I was working again with that same private obstetrician um, and I decided I would fly home at 34 weeks. So I got the advice of my uh, midwife in Papamore as well as the obstetrician that I was working with and I had a normal healthy pregnancy. So that was all fine. They were happy for me to do that. 
And I had a few more sort of scans while I was in Italy and they kept saying, you know, this is a really big baby. And if I was in Europe or in Italy when I was giving birth, they would have um, basically just given me an elective C-section at 37 weeks. They don't like you to give birth to babies of that size vaginally um, really at all, but especially any later than 37 weeks. So I thought that was really interesting in comparison to New Zealand and Australia where it's sort of like, you know, it's relatively normal to have a baby that's um, big at birth and it's not something that we sort of worry about here. So that was an interesting comparison and something that I sort of immediately was thinking about when they said that. It was just sort of, you know, always played in the back of my mind. In terms of things I did to get ready for my birth, obviously this podcast is something that I used as my own resource. So I was listening to all types of stories again, um, as well as recording really interesting ones while I was still pregnant. So I felt like I was starting to relate to different things that were coming out in different stories. And um, yeah, that was probably my first point of call for just listening to different people's experiences and sort of trying to prepare myself for anything that can happen. I think that was... One of the main things I wanted to go into my birth knowing is that I was comfortable with whatever happened as long as I felt like I was making informed decisions and I was in control and it wasn't something that was happening to me. Instead, it was something I was, you know, making a decision on with my partner and and remaining in a positive mindset. So this podcast definitely helped me with that. As well as that, I did an online hypnobirthing course. Um, The main things I got from that was the breathing techniques. So I think that really helped me throughout my birth. And I also used that sort of before before my birth. So I was practicing those breathing techniques and they were really relaxing. I was using them to try and get to sleep, although I was struggling with some serious insomnia towards the end of my pregnancy. Um, But yeah, I enjoyed learning that as well as the different things that happen to our bodies while we're in labor. So the different ways that your uterus contracts and sort of the different stages of labor and what to expect throughout um, the whole thing. So obviously it's different for everybody, but I think that that was really an interesting course and I would happily do it again before the next time I give birth. I think it's a good refresher. And if you maybe hadn't listened to much of this podcast or you hadn't heard much about births before, then it would definitely be yeah really relevant. And I encourage everyone to at least do an antenatal class. Um, if not, do more, you know, don't just do the antenatal class, read books and watch YouTube videos or listen to podcasts or yeah, whatever else you can find. I also read the birth skills by Juju Sundin, I think her last name, Sudan, um, as well as the Ina Mae Gaskin book, A Guide to Childbirth. So I did a lot of yeah reading and sort of preparing for my birth and I had in mind what I would love to have happened, um, if you follow me on Instagram, you you would know that. So my sort of ideal or, you know, the, the most amazing outcome for me in my head is um, was always that I had a happy and healthy baby, but I would have loved to have done that um, in the water and with no pain relief and just sort of minimal intervention, really low lighting, my partner and I, and we'd also decided to have my mum, his mum and his sister in the room with us as well as our midwife. So that was an experience that we really wanted to share with them being the first grandchild on both sides. And we're both really close with our mums and our families. So that was really lovely. And we did end up doing that. So they were all in the room um, with us throughout my labour. And yeah, so my ideal, I guess, birth would have been in the water. Yeah, really natural. Joe would have delivered him. Um, 
And that was sort of something that I was trying to prepare for throughout all of those resources that I was using. I was visualizing that and I was, yeah, really working towards that, I guess, goal of my birth. So my labor ended up happening spontaneously, um, ironically, the night before I was due to be induced. So I had numerous growth scans before um, I actually went into labor. So I, from the sort of six weeks to my due date that I was home in Tauranga, I had three or four growth scans and they were all measuring Jai to be yeah 95th percentile or above, but it wasn't until that second to last growth scan that he jumped up to the 100th percentile. And they were sort of saying, you know, if you get to 42 weeks, he would be five kilos. And I was thinking, holy shit, like how the hell am I going to give birth to a five kilo baby? That just seems absolutely ridiculous, but also explains why I'm experiencing such intense um, pain in my pelvis. Even just walking, it was such a struggle by the end. But anyway, so I had those growth scans and then I was referred to the hospital. Um, They do that when you're over the 95th percentile, I believe, just to talk about the growth and everything like that. I should also mention that I had um, done all of the gestational diabetes tests and everything like that. They all came back clear. So um, when I went to the hospital, they just said, no, we'll let you go to 41 weeks because, you know, you've just got a big baby and you've got a big partner. So that's fairly normal. And I was, yeah, I was pretty comfortable with that. Um, I was pretty over being pregnant. And to be honest, I would have been happily induced at 39 weeks. I knew I was going to have a big, healthy baby. Um, And I was, yeah, I was really over being pregnant by the end. So to have an induction date in my head, and I just knew that it would be over soon enough, um, was a nice feeling, I guess. And that will be controversial controversial to a lot of people I know, because um, there's a lot of research out there about being induced and the statistics show that inductions tend to lead to more intervention and um yeah I was comfortable just you know with whatever needed to happen to get my big healthy baby out um and yeah having a deadline of 41 weeks I felt like was quite nice so I ended up going into labor the night before on a Monday um So I was 39 and six and yeah, my contractions started fairly normally. I knew that that's what they were. were. I had been feeling sort of practice or Braxton Hicks contractions prior to that sort of on and off all the time. I actually thought I was in labor like four times before I actually was in labor Um, and it did feel really similar. So it just continued and that's how I knew that I had actually started, um, that my labor had actually started. And then I was timing my contractions just on an app and they were anywhere from 15 to seven minutes for most of the night. And then I was just on the birth ball and I was sort of, you know, rocking back and forth or rolling my hips around and breathing. And that's how I was managing those. And then sort of towards the early morning, I lost my mucus plug or had a bloody show, I guess what you, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I had actually lost my mucus plug two weeks earlier, so that was a bit of a tease. I thought the baby was coming, and um, he wasn't. But yeah, I lost, I guess, what you'd call the rest of my mucus plug or more of my mucus plug then. Um, and then my contractions felt like quite a lot stronger, and they were anywhere from seven to three minutes apart. So they were quite inconsistent, but definitely um, things were you know, increasing. I knew I had to go to the hospital at 7.30 in the morning, so that was my induction time on Tuesday morning. And by the time it got to 7.30, I thought to myself, you know, I've been in labor since about 5 o'clock the night before, 
and I feel like I've done a lot of work overnight. So I was feeling really confident, really calm about how that was going. I was definitely in pain. Um, I don't feel like anybody can explain the feeling of a contraction to you until you're going through it. But it definitely is something that you manage like a surge. So that's something that I learned in my hypnobirthing course or that people have talked about on this podcast before. It's a bit of a wave, you know, it starts and then it peaks and then you come down the other side of it. So I was just desperately waiting for that peak and it was typically happening around 45 seconds and then it would taper off. So I was, you know, trying not to watch my app for 45 seconds or I'd just shut my eyes and sort of breathe through it and I'd try really hard not to open my eyes until what I thought was, you know, a minute and typically I would get there. So yeah, I felt like I had managed it pretty well and I was feeling quite confident to go into the hospital and just um, find out how far along I was and I knew that, you know, if I had made good progress overnight, then probably I wouldn't even need to be induced. Maybe I'd go home or maybe I'd just stay in the hospital. When we got there, they checked me over and I was yeah pretty uncomfortable by then. I had a few good contractions in the car and um, yeah, didn't enjoy that very much. But once I got there, they checked me and I was only two centimeters. So yeah, I was glad that I had made some progress, but I definitely expected it to be more than that. And I can understand why some people um, decline checks while they are in labor, because it was quite disheartening knowing, you know, I'd done that since 5pm the night before and I'd only dilated to two centimeters, but that was okay. Um, They broke my waters and it didn't hurt, just for those of you who um, haven't had that happen to you yet. It wasn't painful, it's just like a little, it looks like a long knitting needle with a little hook on the end. And they just broke my waters, it was quite a weird feeling having them all sort of gush out. But um, yeah, that was all fine. I should also mention that I had two or three stretch and sweeps before this. So um, the first one was like wildly uncomfortable, <laughs> would not recommend but um, I think, yeah, my cervix was, they called it back and closed. So um, the stretch and sweep didn't actually do anything. You know, they weren't able to stretch or sweep really much at all. But by the time um, I had the third one, I think they could maybe fit one finger. So I still wasn't making a whole heap of progress. But anyway, that's just a, a side note. So yeah, two centimeters and then broke my waters and they said, I asked, you know, can you give me some time before we use the drip? Because that ended up being my only option. Um, The doctors at the hospital said I didn't, I wasn't able to use the gel or the balloon, I guess it's called. Um, So yeah, syntocinin, I think it is, the drip um, was my only option. And so I asked for some time before we had to do that. So they said I could have an hour and I was a little bit yeah, I was, I don't know. I would have liked to have had a little bit longer, but in the end I actually did. So the nurse I had putting the drip into my hand after that hour, um, didn't quite put it in right. And we couldn't figure out that why the machine was beeping for a good four hours. Um, so that was a frustrating time for both me and my partner. Um, but the drip wasn't actually working for those four hours. So I still was laboring on my own, I guess, as you'd call it. I should also mention that I felt, you know, quite positive about being induced. I didn't have any negative sort of feelings about induction. I've listened to all of the podcasts I could possibly find about induction stories. And yeah, I just felt, I felt well informed. And at the end of the day, the decision was mine, right? Like I turned up at the hospital. So um, yeah, 
I was feeling positive about that. I just wanted to have perhaps more options of how the induction would work. But at the end of the day, it was probably always going to end up being the drip anyway. So, um, yeah, after those four hours, they moved the cannula, I think it's called, whatever the drip thing is, um, into my other hand and a different midwife did it and that started working fine. Um, my contractions continued to get stronger and stronger and the drip obviously made them stronger again. Um, they were reasonably close together and yeah, they were really, they were really strong and, um, definitely had progressed from the morning. And at that stage I had sort of either my mum, Joe, my partner, um, Joe's mum or Joe's sister there with me or sometimes all of them all at once um, and they were all helping me in different ways which I really loved so I particularly enjoyed that part of the experience having them all there and sharing that with them um, I had some pain relief so I started with the gas and air um, and actually that was I just felt drunk like I was breathing on that sort of all the time I know that you're supposed to take breaks but, but um, I was yeah I was feeling pretty good on that. So I lasted as long as I could with just the gas and air, but my pain, my sort of pain levels were just getting to be a bit unmanageable. I was still trying to use the hypnobirthing breathing techniques and everything like that. And I felt like that was helping to keep me calm. But at the same time, I was ferociously wiggling my toes and I was sort of thrashing about at some stages, which I, I remember now, but I didn't remember immediately after and my partner actually reminded me that I was doing that. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. That was obviously my body's way of managing the pain and I was also moaning or like this really low hum or, or ooh, um, I guess you'd call it. And that basically I was doing that like sort of even overnight. Um, I noticed that I was like pretty vocal and that continued throughout the whole day. I had no control over that or over my toes um, wiggling either. So that was interesting. I sort of didn't expect, I guess, that part of my labor. And yeah, um, so from there I ended up having an epidural when I felt like the pain was just too much to cope with um, and I sort of had tried everything else. So I had an epidural sort of late in the afternoon and it worked really well for about an hour and then I noticed it wore off on my left hand side um, and I had this real pressure sort of in my vagina and I thought like oh maybe the baby's coming like I had it was like pressure basically where you would expect to feel pressure when the baby's going to be born but it was mainly on my left side so I was sort of, yeah, I was a little bit confused by that. And by that stage, my midwife was there. So I no longer was under the care of the hospital midwife. Um, my own midwife was there and she was like, okay, let's just check and see how you're going. Um, if you're feeling that pressure, maybe the baby is close. And so she checked and I was five centimeters and I sort of thought like, okay, I'm five centimeters. So I've made some progress since this morning, but that's taken me the whole day again. Um, so by this stage I'd been in labor for yeah at least 24 hours and um, I was only five centimeters and, and the pain had become unbearable and even with the epidural it was, yeah, especially on my left-hand side it was sort of undescribable how that felt. Um, but still I was trying to remain really positive and um, 
just sort of breathe as much as I could and they got the anaesthetist I think that's who does the epidural to come back in and try to top it up or figure out what was going wrong with the left hand side so she sort of played around with that a little bit and I maybe felt a slight improvement for maybe half an hour but the same thing happened again so to make sure that I'm not just continuously talking about my birth for five hours um eventually my partner and I basically just said to my midwife, you know, at what point does this become a C-section? Because I have been in labor for, you know, 27 going on 28 hours and I'm at five centimeters and this pain is sort of indescribable. Um, and Joe was really my voice through that. So I sort of, I was really in the zone trying to breathe that I thought that things might be getting close because I could still feel that pressure. So but Joe was really great at asking questions that I was sort of thinking but didn't have the voice to say. Um, and he just said to the midwife, you know, at what point do we make the call and say, yep, this has gone on long enough and, and now it's um, going to be a C-section. And she was really open to that. She knew we were having a big baby and um, she knew that I'd taken sort of all that time to get to five centimeters. And I know that some people would feel really fine with that. Right. So I'm not saying that it's a bad thing if your labor takes that long. I'm just saying that for me, that was sort of the point where I felt like if this isn't happening soon, I really don't know how I'm going to do it. And yeah, so my midwife was open to sort of discussing that. And she said she'd talk with the head obstetrician who was on that night um and she came and saw me and she said okay we'll check you again because it had been at least four hours since the last time I still had the drip going and everything like that and um if you haven't progressed and you do want to move to a c-section then we can do that so she checked me and I was still only five centimeters if not only four and a half um she said like maybe I had actually gone backwards so that was definitely a sign to me that perhaps things weren't going to go um, sort of the way that I had initially thought that they might and that we were going to go for a C-section instead. And I should just tell you all now that I felt really positive and confident once that decision had been made. So throughout my birth prep, I had prepared for all types of scenarios. Um, I had read and listened and watched all types of births that were C-sections, that were um, episiotomies and ventus and forceps and everything, you know, like I had really um, tried to educate myself on all of these different births as well as natural um, pain-free vaginal births. So I had really done my research on everything and I felt really comfortable with whatever way my birth needed to go to get my baby out. And so when we started talking about a C-section, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I didn't feel, you know, too anxious apart from sort of your normal feelings of I'm going to meet my baby and I'm going to have a surgery to do it. Um, I felt like, yeah, once that decision had been made, I was really in control and confident and calm and I knew that it wouldn't be too long until we were in there and I'd be meeting my baby. So from there, we had to wait a little while because there was an emergency surgery that was going on and then I was wheeled through into theatre. So Joe put his scrubs on, which he loved, um, in which we joked about he looked like someone out of Grey's Anatomy and it was all just really light and like, you know, we were all sort of joking around and... I felt so relieved once I knew that there was an end in sight, having only been five centimeters after all that time and in so much pain. So when I was being wheeled in there, yeah, I felt really calm. It wasn't an emergency. Jai's heart rate was pretty consistent the whole time. You know, I was being monitored, obviously. So 
they knew that he was fine and it wasn't an emergency in any sense. I know that it ends up being called an emergency caesarean because I was in labor and then progressed to a C-section, but it really wasn't an emergency and it was just, yeah, everybody was calm and comfortable and they wheeled me through to surgery and topped up my epidural and the only thing that was sort of uncomfortable that I didn't expect with that was I got the shakes really badly and that had happened when they gave me the epidural earlier as well so it's just sort of uncontrollable shaking of like your whole body basically um but I went numb really quickly from sort of the chest down uh which was good but the top my arms and sort of the top part of my body were still shaking so I was using my hypnobirthing techniques um with the breathing to try and calm that down. But apart from that, you know, the whole room was really comfortable. There was um, a doctor who came in who was sort of supervising who said, you know, I've been called in for this emergency. And he was joking um, that he had just been at home and and he was sort of happy to be there in a non-emergent situation. So that was nice. And they explained to me what would happen and how things would go. And then Joe was sort of behind the screen talking with me and he said, I think they're going to start soon. And all that time I could sort of feel this like weird sensation at the bottom of my tummy. And I thought they might be like preparing me, but you know, I couldn't really feel anything. It was just this weird feeling. And when he said that the doctor was like, Oh no, we're about halfway through. (laughs) And he was yeah shocked and, and, um, he couldn't help but pop his head over and have a good look. So he was sort of looking and then looking back at me and looking and looking back at me, um, which I think, yeah, was cool that he got to watch it in that way, even if it might have been a bit scary for him. And our midwife was taking pictures, which was amazing. Um, I should also say that we had a team of midwives, so they were a partnership here in Papamoa, and we ended up with the technical backup midwife, but um, I felt like I would have been really happy to have either of them there, and she was really awesome. So she took some amazing photos, and I'll make sure I post them um, with the episode because, yeah, I just love them, and I think that they're so cool. So Jai came out, and the first thing that the doctor said was, well, he is a big baby. Um, he had a big head, and he was particularly you know, looked pretty long, and, yeah, he was a big healthy boy so they brought him out and then Joe sort of ran over to the table with him and we heard him cry and they sort of showed me him and everything like that which was yeah amazing indescribable feeling and Joe was running back and forth between the table sort of saying oh my god he's so perfect and oh, I can't wait for you to see him and it was just yeah it was so lovely and um he was telling me you know like he's got 10 fingers and 10 toes and yeah get emotional thinking about it It was just yeah such a cool such a cool moment for us both and then they sort of closed me up and um did everything that they needed to do there and Jai was put on my chest and Joe sort of held him there so that he was touching my face and we took our first family photo and yeah it was just it was lovely so I definitely felt like that was a really positive experience all the way through from deciding that we were going to go for the C-section through to actually doing it. Um, It was just, yeah, it was a calm, relaxed space and we were all really comfortable. We were all really relieved that there was an end in sight. And actually when they got Jai out, um, the surgeon said there was no way basically that he was coming out on his own. He had this big like blister looking thing on the left side of his head Um, I think it was the left side, maybe the right, but either way, he was stuck in the left part of my pelvis and he was posterior, which we didn't know. So on all the scans, he seemed to be facing the right way. Um, But when they brought him out, he was posterior facing and um, 
in the left part of my pelvis just sort of really stuck in there, which is likely why I was experiencing those feelings of the epidural wearing off on that left side really quickly and also pressure in the left part of my vagina or pelvis or whatever it was. But yeah, he was really stuck in there. So I'm um, glad we made the call when we did. And yeah, I just feel really positive and comfortable with, with our birth experience being a cesarean. And I hope that if you're out there and you're either having an elective cesarean or your birth ends up in a C-section, that you can take some comfort in this story because it really was... I feel like it was just the way that our birth was supposed to go. And although that I had prepared for this natural, you know, beautiful birth that I often post on my Kiwi Birth Tales pages when I find the special videos, I think that ours was just as special in its own way. So, yeah, I hope that you take something from that for sure. So from there, they wheeled us back into recovery and Joe had Jai, um, which was so cool to see him holding him finally after all this time. I feel like I had waited for that moment forever. And they popped him on my chest and he latched on straight away, which was, yeah, really awesome. Um, they had to wait to wheel me back into my room until the numb numbness had worn off. So they sort of keep spraying you with that cold spray until you can feel different parts of your body and then they take you back to your room. And from there, um, my mum, Joe's mum and sister and dad were all there um, waiting to meet him, which was really awesome. And they were only there for a short time. It was sort of past midnight by this stage and... And then it was just Joe, Jai and I. Joe didn't end up staying. Um, we sort of made the decision it was better that he gets some sleep and then comes back in the morning. So by that time, it's probably about two o'clock and Joe left and then it was just Jai and I <laughs> in the room. Um, and obviously he's in his little bassinet thing next to the bed and because I'd had a C-section, I couldn't exactly get up to pick him up. So there was a nurse that came in to sort of help him um, come over to me when he needed feeding and all that sort of stuff. But they also were checking his blood sugar levels. So he was born 10 pound two. Um, and I think with a big baby like that, it's common practice to check their blood sugars. Um, and he was having some really low readings all night. And I was sort of, yeah, I didn't really know what that meant. And I, I hadn't really given it much thought at all, to be honest. I sort of thought he, he, he you know, it would just work itself out by the morning or the next day. But at five o'clock in the morning, um, I had the, like a doctor or specialist from the special care unit come in and say that they needed to take him down to special care. And that was due to his low blood sugars and his body sort of not being able to regulate them on his own. So that was quite a shock and definitely not something I had planned for or even thought about. I, I really just assumed that we were going to have a big healthy baby and he was going to be born and then we'd just take him home, you know, like I didn't ever consider that we might be in hospital for longer than a couple of days after my c-section because of him if anything I thought it might be because of me but yeah so anyway he was taken down to special care um and I was told I would need to pump every three hours um while he was down there to make sure that my milk was coming in and they gave me this hospital pump and sort of showed me how to do it I guess <laughs> um but yeah, it was just all a bit of a blur from, or a bit of a whirlwind, I guess, from there. Um, being separated from him really sucked, and I sort of, I think I notice it more now when I think about it, probably than I did at the time. Like, I was just trying to survive, I guess, at that point. Like, you're exhausted, and you've just gone through a major surgery, or just had a baby, and he's sort of, you know, just latched on, and you've got all of these emotions, it's so overwhelming, and then all of a sudden, he's not there, and... I was having to be wheeled down to special care to see him. 
um, and pump, come back to pump every three hours and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) Um, and he ended up being in special care for a whole week. So throughout that time he was being given, um, glucose and formula and my breast milk that I was able to express and yeah, all of this different stuff. He also had a sugar drip going into his hand, which tissued, um, which is just horrible. I hope that, you know, you never have to experience that with your baby. His hand and arm was so massive. And at one point they were talking about having to take us to the plastic surgery unit in Waikato. And we were just thinking, holy shit, like how has this actually happened? We had a really healthy big baby and now he's, you know, got this massive swollen arm and needs plastic surgery. You know, it was just, it was ridiculous. And we couldn't believe that we were sort of in that position and how we had even got there. But his end ended up being fine. It was just that was a worst-case scenario. I guess they have to tell to everybody. Um, And, yeah, he was okay. But, that you know, different parts of that special care unit experience were really positive. Like, we learned so much, and the different nurses that we had there were just incredible. And if I could go back and thank every single one of them every single day now, I still probably would. Like, they were just amazing. And um, I learned so much for them from them and they were really helpful to both Joe and I. So yeah, we'll be forever grateful for what they did for us and for Jai, but definitely some parts of that experience, um, weren't as positive. And one of those would be, you know, watching him get the, the them trying to put the cannulas, I think it's called a cannula, right? I don't know, <laughs> the needle things into his little tiny veins. And they had like learning doctors, which is fine. And I understand why, or like that everybody has to learn, but learning doctors putting um, those in. And, you know, I imagine it's really, really difficult to do that. So it was taking them at least a couple of tries each time to try and get it in. And Joe was screaming and it was just horrible. So I ended up saying, you know, we only want the consultants or the like specialists to be putting these in because like I wouldn't let myself be pricked that many times. So why would I let it happen to my baby? And I think that that's really when I found my voice and I was like, I just felt this desperate need to want to protect Chai. And yeah, that was really tough. So the special care experience, um, looking back on it now, learned a whole lot, amazingly grateful to the different staff that were there that helped us. But Equally, it was a time where I felt like I wasn't in control of what was happening to my baby. Um, I didn't understand the blood sugar thing but sort of very well at all, no matter what people told us or the pamphlet that they give you or whatever sort of didn't make sense. And, um, yeah, it was a frustrating time for everyone. Obviously, nobody wants to be there. Um, and, yeah, it was just – it was difficult. So my gestational diabetes tests all came back clear, Um And they kept sort of saying that basically this is a result of gestational diabetes, but again, tests were clear. So perhaps the doctor said it was just a case of he was overdue. So obviously 41 weeks and a big, really big baby. So he was taking a lot of um, what he needed from me. And then when he was born, maybe his body just wasn't quite able to keep up with his needs and the, you know, excess of what he'd been getting from me wasn't there anymore. So he wasn't able to sort of cope with that. And then it's a bit of a a spiral because they give him the glucose or the formula or whatever they're giving him, polycos, and then that lifts his sugars up. But at the same time, it doesn't let his body learn to do it on his own. So then you have to balance it back out, um, slowly drop down the formula or the polycos or the drip um, until his body's able to figure it out. So 
I'm not sure I'm no doctor. So obviously, um, I don't have any experience in what would happen if we didn't have all of that. You know, if say he had have been a home birth and I know they would have wanted to take him to the hospital to do the blood sugar checks anyway, cause he was that big, but had he have born, been born somewhere else and his blood sugar's not been checked, would he have just been fine after a day? I'm not sure. Like if, if he hadn't have had all of that stuff pumped into him. Yeah. I really don't know. Um, and he also had, a like really long dose of antibiotics in there because he had some inflammation markers in his blood tests. Um, whether or not he actually needed those, I'm not sure either, but it's I guess just standard practice when you've got inflammation markers in your blood. Um, and I didn't feel like I had much of a choice over that. Um, but yeah, it just is what it is now. We were happy to take home our, you know, really healthy baby. But at the same time, that started our troubles with breastfeeding. So... Um, he wasn't able to cluster feed off me like he normally would, um, had he have just been with me in the room and I was pumping every three hours, but probably wasn't doing it properly for the first, at least two days until I had a lactation consultant come and check on me and say, Oh, actually you're not doing that right. Um, so definitely recommend talking with the lactation consultant if you're in the hospital or the birth center to make sure that if you're pumping, you are doing it right because yeah, I wasn't. And, um, so I had to really work to build my milk supply, I guess, from there because I didn't have what I would have had he have been cluster feeding off me like that. Um, but in saying that, we got home after a week and I felt probably more confident than what I would have had we have just gone home after a couple of days. I think those special care nurses taught us so much, like even just putting a pillowcase over his sheet and tucking it around the bassinet um, mattress so that if he's like sick or anything from the formula in his bed you don't have to change the sheet you know like little things like that so random but um they were really helpful and gave me some confidence like okay I actually do know some things like I'm not just at home with my baby knowing nothing so yeah I think I was getting the hang of breastfeeding um we were using nipple shields because I have apparently flat nipples um which yeah I don't know I thought they were like relatively normal but anyway using the nipple shields, which Jai was totally fine with. He'd taken a bottle, used, used the shields, everything while we were in the hospital. So once we were out, I think he was just fine with whatever. He's a big hungry boy, so I think he'd probably drink it from a straw if you'd let him. <laughs> um, so yeah, we were just sort of at home adjusting to life with him. He was waking twice before the morning, so we were definitely pretty lucky there. Um, we weren't waking him every three hours or anything like that. He was getting fed enough in the day, and we were just letting him wake up sort of on his own overnight. And then I got hit with my first round of mastitis, um, which was just horrific. Like, I just, yeah, if you have had mastitis, like, I feel for you. And if you haven't, then, you know, I pray that you never do. Um it's just really painful. It's what started off with like a red lump sort of quickly progressed into flu like feelings and temperatures and chills and everything like that. And, um, so I started taking the antibiotics pretty much straight away and they made Jai's tummy really upset. So I was giving him probiotics, which everyone said would help, but it didn't. He was just sort of had constant diarrhea and he was basically just screaming like all day. So I made the decision that I was going to pump and dump and just, um, feed him formula for that time I knew that he could take the formula because he had already been doing that in the hospital 
and I didn't want to see him in that much pain as a result of sort of something that I was doing so I made the decision to do that and keep up with the pumping I had the hospital pump at home for two weeks so I was doing that which yeah if you're an exclusively pumping mum I have like yeah I, I just take my hat off to you because it is really hard work um and, you know, feeding, breastfeeding your baby and then pumping after to try and build your milk supply is hard work. Breastfeeding on its own is hard work. So, yeah, I just, I really think that um, we don't give that enough credit. So whatever your journey is, I take my hat off to you. And I really do believe that if your baby's fed, then they're happy, right? Like Jai's still putting on a lot of weight and he's a happy, healthy boy. So anyway, I ended up having mastitis three times before he was six weeks and I almost gave up breastfeeding so many times in between that. So I'm still pumping at the moment, but he's definitely mixed fed more on formula than he has on breast milk. I just don't have the supply there for him. So, um, yeah, trying all different sorts of things, but not tied to having to breastfeed or, you know, building back up to being exclusively breastfed. Um, I'm just doing what works for us at the moment. And at the moment, that's what it is. In terms of everything else, I guess I didn't experience um, any real signs of postpartum depression that I've noticed or anything like that, but I definitely did have the blues. I think there's a few days there where I felt just like my hormones were all over the place and I cried every afternoon without fail, like I was probably exhausted and overwhelmed as well, but can definitely put that down to the hormones too. Um, and I was just really super sensitive to things that people would say, you know, like, especially while I was in the hospital as well I think my hormones were regulating themselves then too and it was just yeah someone would say something that would set me off and then I'd cry all afternoon <laughs> so I I um definitely think that that is real and if you have those feelings of like holy shit my whole life has changed or you're really sensitive to what someone says or anything like that you're definitely not alone um, and I knew that from these podcast stories too, I knew that, um, that was what I should expect and that was how it would feel. But also when you're feeling it, you know, it's real and it's happening to you instead. So you just be really conscious of being kind to yourself and hopefully you've got a supportive partner or family who's going to be really kind to you too, because yeah, Joe was definitely my rock through that period and he was just incredible, sort of really encouraging and always looking after me and yeah so he was awesome so I was so grateful to him through that time and then in terms of adjusting to life I guess after that um Joe was away for work or for water polo um for 10 days when Joe was only a couple of weeks old so that was really tough um we were living with Joe's family and I also had my mum come and stay so I had heaps of support but it was still really hard I think your partner in that time, if if you're together, is just like you lean on them for so much. Or what I really did for him, um, and to not have him there was really difficult. So that was hard. And then on top of that, you're sort of sleep deprived and you're exhausted and you're still trying to figure out like what is this baby, <laughs> you know? Like get to know each other and yeah, it's just it, it really is exhausting. Like. I had no idea why he was crying. I would call my mum and say, you know, like he's been crying for this amount of time and I've tried this, this and this, like what do I do now? And I think it's okay to say that, right? Like we don't know everything and we are learning our babies and every baby is different. And when you don't know what to do, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay if that doesn't work. <laughs> um, 
But I definitely feel like one thing that helped me, and this is something I've had to learn to do, is to say, okay, take a step back and like give the baby to Joe or to one of our parents or you know, just leave him for a minute and take a deep breath and know that it's okay that he's crying and that he will be okay. Um, but look after yourself as well, because I think that's really important. Like uh, there were stages where I was, you know, sort of sobbing, crying, and he was sobbing, crying on me and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. But equally, like if I'm feeling that way, he's probably going to be feeling that too. So it's important to try and, yeah, try and share the load where you can. And I think, um, it's okay to say that it's okay to say like, Hey, this is really hard for me right now. And I'm actually not okay. Can you just take the baby for five minutes while I like clear my head? And I've had to learn to do that. It's been a process and I think that's normal too. So I didn't really, um, I haven't really wanted to leave him with anybody um, for these first six or seven weeks, um, even though people probably would have loved me to have left them with him for the night or whatever and just, like, take a break. I haven't felt like I've wanted or needed a break, really. I just I want to be with him all the time, and I think that that's a really normal feeling too. So just do what's right for you, you know, if you're comfortable um, and happy to have your mum or a family member look after them for a couple of hours, which I have done with my mum of an afternoon now, um, then do it. But if you're not, then don't feel guilty about it. It's just you. Yeah. I think there needs to be way more credit given to women in that postpartum period of being able to just do what's right for them. So if it feels like it's right for you, then do it. If it doesn't, then don't, don't feel pressured into things because of your partner or your family or your partner's family or your friends, anything like that. Just know that whatever feels right for you at the time you do, and don't worry about anyone else's opinion or feelings. That would be my main piece of advice. Um, yeah. So in terms of my recovery from my C-section, I feel like the first week was, you know, pretty tough in the hospital. It was pretty painful when, um, I was in the wheelchair for the most part of three, I guess, three days afterwards. Um, they get you to take a shower in like the couple of hours. Well, for me, it was the morning after the C-section and standing up is the weirdest feeling ever. So, um, just encourage you to have lots of support there to help you like Joe and the nurse both helped me walk into the shower and helped me shower and everything like that and it was a mess there was lots of blood and everything like that and it was a really odd feeling but I knew that it would be sort of over and it wasn't going to feel like that forever so definitely just yeah encourage you to take that really slowly one of the things that I found um, really amazing in the hospital was disposable adult nappies so I use the Depends brand and I know that lots of you are going to be saying oh my gosh disposable nappies there's so many different methods that you could be using that are reusable which yes um absolutely I do agree but at the time these worked for me um they were really soft comfortable material and actually really high waisted so I felt like they were sort of holding me in a wee bit while also giving me that support of um what I needed when I was bleeding but I was actually putting the maternity pads on top of them so then I felt like I'd had extra coverage and I wasn't worried about bleeding through them or anything like that so um, that was one thing that I really really loved and would definitely use again in my next birth whatever um, style that may be and yeah so after that week um, obviously everything started to heal and 
the only really painful thing for me from there was getting in and out of bed. So I think that I had to take that really easy for at least two weeks before I started noticing that it wasn't so sore anymore. And now I've just got a bit of numbness. So I'm seven weeks postpartum now, and I've just got a little bit of numbness more so on my left side, um, around the scar. And I will be seeing a woman's health physio this week, um, just to have a checkup and let me know what I should be doing in terms of what exercises are safe. And, um, as well as if I should be doing any massage or anything like that on my scar. So, definitely will be doing that and finding out some useful information then but I'm also looking forward to getting back into some exercise and um, I know that will be really good for my mental health too Uh, I won't be sort of doing anything crazy but yeah really looking forward to that and um, I'll just sort of go off what the physio says um, she recommends will be good for me in terms of how I'm feeling now emotionally I think I'm just so, (laughs) I'm still overwhelmed with the feeling of how much I love Jai and I just want to protect him and I never ever want anything bad to happen to him. I'm just like obsessed with him. And um, yeah, I think it probably took a couple of days for that feeling to come. And then once it was there, it was like, you know, I feel like it's never ever going to go away or get any less ever again. So um I think that that's normal. You sort of, obviously you feel like you want to protect and care for your baby straight away. Usually I guess when they're born, but that sort of couple of days later, I was like, man, I just am so in love with this child. I don't know how I'm ever going to let him move out (laughs) or let him out of my sight ever again. So yeah, I think from that perspective, I'm feeling really good. Um, definitely exhausted and yeah, there's been a lot of things that, have happened throughout the last seven weeks that have made me emotional. Um, and I definitely think it's a really testing time between you and your partner and your family, um, and your extended family. So just be conscious of yourself. I think that that's the most important thing. It's so important that you feel good. So if something isn't going how you want it to go, use your voice. Um, even if it's going to perhaps make ripples, you know, like, it's really important that you look after yourself during that time period. And I think, um, making sure that you lean on your partner and and have them be your voice too is, is also really important. But yeah, I'm feeling really good seven weeks later. Um, the only sort of, yeah, I guess thing that I would say is that I acknowledge that that's not everybody's journey. So this has been mine, but if you are seven weeks postpartum now or, three months postpartum now and you don't feel good um, or you don't feel like you could sit there and say, you know, things are going well for me and and I'm feeling like I'm in a good place, talk to someone. Um, I've definitely lent on my friends and Joe throughout this time a lot. So make sure that you either talk to your midwife or or your GP or whoever you can um, to get you some help because I think it's really quickly and easily to spiral downwards in that cycle. And if I hadn't have had Joe or my friends there at different points, um, I can very easily see how I would have ended up in a very different place. So yeah, I just think be mindful of yourself and, and speak up or look for help um, if you feel like you need it. So yeah, seven weeks on, um, don't have my period back yet, still trying to pump, um, but yeah, getting pretty over the pumping, so I guess I'll make a decision on that um, as we go, enjoying trying to like breastfeed when we get the chance, but Jai gets really frustrated because I don't have the milk there that he's used to in a bottle now, so anyway... 
that just is what it is and it's our journey and um if it ends up being that we don't continue to breastfeed eventually then I'm I'm content with that and I know that I've tried everything that I possibly could <clears throat> to make that work for us so yeah I feel confident and happy with whatever way that that ends up and I also feel the same way about my birth so it was a positive induction story it was a positive cesarean story and I really feel like that was down to my mindset um nothing was was traumatic or you know I wouldn't say there was anything about my birth that I didn't like really love um now looking back on it although it was the most painful thing I've ever done so yeah I just think I'd love um to spread the word that not all inductions are horrible and not all c-sections are you know emergencies and even if they are it doesn't mean that they have to be a really traumatic experience um I'd encourage you to share this with your friends and family who may be going through something similar and just know that if you have the right mindset, then, you know, you can sort of turn anything into a positive situation. And I was really prepared for whatever birth story I ended up having, and this has been mine and I'm really proud of it. And I know there's going to be lots of you asking now, do I plan on having more children? And if I do, would I try and birth them vaginally? The answer to that is definitely plan on having more children um, in terms of how that birth or those births will go. Not sure. Um, Yeah, definitely would have to give it more thought. I know there's lots of really awesome VBAC stories out there, so perhaps I would try for that. But also equally, if I ended up having an elective caesarean after this one, I'd feel really confident and happy with that too. So at the moment, we're definitely content with our little boy and just not rushing into anything too quickly. Um, But yeah, I just think that we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And I will wrap up my story there. Um, Hopefully that has been interesting for you and probably not what you expected. I know I get a lot of, or I had got a lot of messages from people saying, oh my God, your birth's going to be amazing. You're so well prepared and you've got all these stories and all of the experiences. And actually the answer to that is yes, that is what it was, Um, but probably not in the way that what maybe some of you would expect. So Hopefully um, you've listened to this story and you've thought that it was a really positive experience and you've maybe even learned something for yourself because, um, yeah, I feel like it was a positive experience and I just hope that if you are out there preparing for your birth that you can take from this story to let your birth be what it will be. Prepare as much as you can for all different types of scenarios and just give in to the fact that Um, everybody's birth and baby will be different and you just need to make sure that you know you're healthy and your baby's healthy and I feel like those are the most important things Um, and yeah you can turn whatever you want into a positive story so thanks for listening and I hope that I am able to bring you some more awesome episodes over the next few weeks and I've been a bit um, MIA looking after my little man but yeah hopefully get back into some sort of routine over the next little while and bring you some more awesome stories so thank you for listening thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast I really hope you enjoyed it I'd love to hear your feedback, so either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at KiwiBirthTales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.